Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Tonight, we're continuing with our series on addictions with our human condition expert, clinical psychologist Lynn Worsley. We're exploring a range of addictions. Last week, it was alcohol, and this week, drug addiction, which, Lynn, you're defining in a separate category. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Lee. Good on you. Before we do, let's recap, uh, for those who missed it, a bit of the overview of addictions and why they happen. <laughs> I gave a, a bit of a, an overview last week on how alcohol addiction occurs and how what happens with addictions anyway, um, particularly when there's a drug involved, that there becomes a, a, a tolerance. So the person gets used to having a certain amount of alcohol or drug in their body. Mm. And um, the body adapts to that, and so it starts to reach an equilibrium. So you need more drugs to get the effect, and that's what we call tolerance. And so once a person has a level of tolerance, they then increase their drug use. Um, the other thing that happens to actually tell us that somebody has a drug addiction is that they then start to have withdrawals from the drug. So when they haven't had that certain amount or topped up their system, um, they then have withdrawal symptoms. And with alcoholism, there's a certain amount of withdrawals that occur with shakes and, and, uh, and, and really the whole body starts to go into a bit of a shock. The same with drugs, different, different withdrawal symptoms for different drugs. But physically, that's really what happens. And I think we need to be very aware that that physical reaction is very real yeah. and drives the emotional and the psychological reactions. It's interesting to me that you've defined drugs and an addiction to drugs as separate from alcohol. Well, yes, I have, and I guess it's not really that much different. Um, alcohol is a drug, and it's probably our worst drug that we have. But there are some different addictive patterns with drug taking. Okay. So we've got two categories with drug taking. One is that you've got someone who has um, a, you know, an, an addiction to a, a prescriptive drug, and that happens exactly the same as illicit drugs. They develop a tolerance, and then they have a withdrawal from it. But the difference is that it's socially acceptable. Yes. And it's and if someone is being prescribed drugs and they're following the doctor's orders, the doctor's able to keep an eye an eye on that. And um, but what tends to happen is that we have a, de- a degree of tolerance again, and the body gets used to it. So basically, they have to find more drugs to get the same effect. Yeah. And so this is when people start jumping from doctor to doctor and getting a number of different scripts. So they can top up their their drug use. And then they have quite a problem. Does a drug addiction begin elsewhere with another addiction and then move on to drugs typically? It can do. Um, I think when we're looking at um, illicit drugs, that's particularly what tends to happen. And what tends to happen with people using illicit drugs is that they're really after something to top them up, to make them feel better, to to escape or to... It's, it's a bit like the immediate gratification. I want to I want to go all night. And certainly, you know, talking to people who've been in, say, the Mardi Gras, for example, or, or some sort of event that goes all night, a concert um, or a, a festival, a youth festival... They want to go all night. They don't want to miss a thing. And so they will take a lot of the drugs um, in order to keep them up. And yet such dangers, and especially for the Incredible dangers. And if you're doing that on a weekend basis, um, usually with the sort of drugs are there that actually give you a bit of a high, you have like a three-day drop. So oftentimes by about, they might have used it on the weekend, Friday, Saturday night, for example, they'll start having problems or withdrawals on about the Wednesday or the Thursday. 
of that. And that becomes a pattern which then becomes like a depressive pattern which says by Wednesday and Thursday I'm hanging out for Saturday, Friday and Saturday night so I can top up again. And that becomes like a recreational drug use that then becomes a real drug addiction. And sometimes the tipping point. I remember speaking with Bronwyn Healy last year who uh, became a prostitute because she had to sustain her drug habit. It's a very, very fast ride into serious drug addiction, it can be. Well, and I think too that the drug, the illicit drug use um, comes with a, a culture yes. and, and the culture is that other people are using the same as you, so you have friends who are, who are also using the same as you, so it's important that you all use together, uh, you all go out together, you then have the same pro, you know, supplier so you then have um, someone who becomes your friend who's also your supplier. And so when you start saying, oh, gee, I need to cut down or maybe I shouldn't have so much or I can't afford it this week. What's my friend going to say? Yes, yeah, yeah. so they've got some something at, in, at stake in actually keeping you afloat. Now, all of that actually it sounds strange, but that actually happens accidentally. So it's not that they're setting you up. It's, it's a system. It's all part of a system and you become part of the system. So those actually dealing the drugs are also part of that system. Mm. And they often are unaware or maybe over time become aware that they really need to keep you topped up. Are there psychological tipping points at work in moving from other substances onto drugs or is it mainly physical? I think there's both. I think there's um, the physical one is you need another high, you need something more to make you feel better. Um, The psychological tipping point is that you want to be with people who are fun. And I think, you know, if we go back to what I've talked about in the previous weeks, this hope and fear scale. Yes. People who are living at the fear scale, they don't want to miss out on anything. They don't, they're, they're fearful of, of, of regretting things in life. They're fearful of being lonely. They're fearful of a whole lot of things. And so what they do is that they put things in place to actually answer that fear or to cover up that fear or react from the fear. And basically, they make the fear occur. They end yes. up lonely. They end up at a point where they really are you know, in a devastating place. The alternative is, of course, looking at the hope. The hope is that I would have sustainable long-term friends, that I'll have a career and I will have a, a family or people around me that love me. And in that, you choose people who then would sustain that. Now, the drug use side is immediate gratification. So that's very much down the fear end because it is a reactionary use. You use it because you're reacting to something and you want to fix it straight away and want it done now. Yeah. So you're not ready to wait for something and you're not ready to look ahead and think into the future because the future is a bit too scary. So you just want to focus on now and I'm going to fix it. How do you advise the drug addict on how to overcome or how to start dealing with their addiction? Yes, first of all, it depends on whether it's illicit or prescriptive drug use. Both need to have a major program. Um, if it's um, if you're prescriptive drug use, you need to go to the doctor and say, I have a problem and I need to come off this drug and you need to go with me with this. And the doctor will work you through that. But you, you also need to have something like a register put in so that you can't go off to other doctors and get some more when you're... When you're up, up. And that can be done through the system. That's right, yes. that's right. So the other one is that you look at a um, going into a rehab. So rehabs are fantastic. 
they really work with that first week of just coming off the drugs and and the awful pain associated with that and um, and sometimes there are some drugs that can alleviate that pain but they need to be administered with somebody's you know safe mm. and then to go to a, a place where you can actually um, stay for you know three months and withdraw from people and it is withdrawing from the people that are in that system of yeah. the illicit drug use because you can't go back into it they will everything is invested in you maintaining the drug use so if you can't withdraw from those people the worst thing you should do is actually lock yourself in a room and be on your own because that basically means you you don't have your donut. And I've talked about the yes. donut before. You don't have the people around you to support and sustain you and help you to be resilient through this time. So you actually need to go and find people who are supportive. If you can withdraw and go to a, um, a rehab place or somewhere that, that actually is supportive of you during that process and then bring your family and your friends in to support you the family and friends that don't use drugs, by the way. Of course. So there are very significant, if you can term it like this, environmental factors at work. Extremely. That have got to be broken. That's right. And it's the same with the alcoholic. The alcoholic would find it extremely difficult to go to the pub with their friends um, on a regular basis. Yes. It's just everyone's drinking, the smell of alcohol sets it all off again. It's the same with drug use. It's the smell of the marijuana. It just, oh, man, I, I, can't, I can't do anything when I hear that, smell that smell. I've got to go and have some. So that sense of pulling right away from it. Remember the neural pathways in the brain are set. You don't forget anything. <laughs> you don't cover up. The grass doesn't grow over those pathways. You, they're always there. So you need to create new ones that are stronger so that when the other ones are tickled, you then can say, no, I need to go and do something different. I've got something different to do. Say if I go into rehab, I've got my three months away from all those environmental yes, factors. Yes, What do I do then? When you come back, yeah. you then need to, during the time at rehab, activate people who are safe people in your environment so that when you come back, they know what you've been through. And they have a pretty good instruction as to how to support you. So you can't do this alone? You can't do it alone. It's a physical and an emotional and everything in your body is geared up for using those drugs. So you need to actually have a whole lot of structures in place that enable you to have a new way of doing things. And if you've got other people who are thinking the same as you, that's much more helpful. Is it harder to give up an addiction to drugs than other addictions? So with alcohol and other addictions that we'll cover in the weeks to come. I think it's harder with alcohol and drugs because it is a physical, very much a physical thing. Mm -hmm. It's an emotional and a physical thing. So the body is actually already now has a system that in place that's ready to cope with that drug that knows how to, oh, good, alcohol's coming into my system. I know what to do with that. Oh, here comes some codeine. I know what to do with that. So... It, that's the difficulty, whereas other ones are often psychological and um, I guess there's a, a whole emotional and cognitive overtone that happens with um, with the other addictions like gambling and, and sexual addiction, which we'll talk about later. But in essence, really with drugs and alcohol, we've got a very physical one in place and it becomes a disorder. So, um, But the other aspect with this, with the drugs and alcohol, with family and friends, is that... Sometimes families and friends can enable the drug addict, drug, drug addict to keep right. going. Deliberately so, or? No, they're, they're actually in a system again. 
Um, they create the system and they could tiptoe around it and not talk about the elephant in the room. You know, there's an elephant there sitting there and it's actually about my dad's alcoholism or it's all about my son's drug, ad- drug addiction, but we're not going to talk about it. We're going to pretend it's not there. And, I'll, oh, don't worry, I'll do the washing up for him and I'll, I'll ring in and tell him that, that he's sick and that, um, you know, he's not well, even though he had a big night of binge drinking. So that itself enables them to continue using so the more that you prop them up, the more that you tiptoe around, the more that you keep the secret, the more that the actual problem occurs. Are you talking about zero tolerance? Might that risk them fleeing from that kind of contact? Um, I think it's not so much zero tolerance. It's more like making sure that the person who has the problem owns the problem. Okay. Hmm. So it's almost like handing it back to them. And, and if they have had a big night binge drinking, yeah, there's nothing wrong with waking them up with bacon and eggs um. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and getting them ready for work. Tough know? love. Oh, you, sorry, you, you, you created this problem and, and you're going to clean up the bathroom after last night too and it's your problem. It's not my problem. Yes. How can families be helped? I think the whole family needs help in this situation. And I certainly have seen many families where children, particularly years later, have um, have talked about having an alcoholic father, for example, yeah. or a drug addict addicted mother um, or father. And what's happened is that they've they've developed a, a stay under the radar type mentality. They've de- developed a way of attaching to people that means that you know we don't talk about the problem and we'll we'll avoid that. And uh, it, it almost gives them an apologetic self-esteem. Mm. And that's really sad uh, that, that alcohol and drugs have that, that amount of effect. And, and also that sort of fatherless or, or motherless children who've had you know, a parent who's been you know, really having a relationship with the drug yes. and not their child. And, and that's, they, children know when their, parent, their parents are not present. Can you give us an example of the kind of case that you've had to deal with or seen as a clinical psychologist and what happens with someone struggling with such an addiction? Yes, yes, I can. Um, I think uh, I can give a case where there was a, a father with um, with both a codeine addiction and an alcohol addiction. Um, and the codeine addiction really was just to keep him, um, I think at the time had a terrible back problem. Um, and had become addicted to codeine, but also drank um, uh, in the process just to relax. So he, the codeine to up and the, and the alcohol to relax. And what happened over time was that he became um, odd, uh, had very strange personality characteristics. The children were very frightened of him. But it went on for years and years and years before anyone got any help. And in the meantime, all these kids had worked out that they hide in their room. They would um, uh, avoid any contact with him. He would, and it almost like enabled him to to do the behaviour, to drink and um, to maintain be quite the odd. dysfunction. Yes, because he had the whole lounge room to himself. Yeah. Um, and over time, these kids were, I, I guess, what you would call compulsive compliant. They would be compliant with anything to keep the peace. And when it came to their relationships, particularly later on in life, um, in, in adolescence, these kids started to form relationships which were very similar to the ones that their mum had formed. Um, and you know, it wasn't until they come as a family that we started to actually look at the patterns and worked out what we'd prefer, what would have been much better. After all those years, what was it that broke the back of that, that they sought help? 
I think it was when um, the daughter uh, had to pack dad into bed um, after he'd vomited in in the lounge room, and uh, and it was it was and dad had no memory, but his daughter had actually put him to bed and and taken his shoes off and wiped him up, and she was fourteen. And you know this is this is not an uncommon story. No, no. and and it, and I I think too that the fact that she had no respect for him, um, and when there was a lot of arguments, and basically she learned to stand up to him, as adolescents do. Adolescents are very good at calling what the elephant in the room is. Yes, um, everyone else has been tiptoeing around it, and it wasn't until she actually started doing some very acting out behaviour herself, and then talked about this situation. That we went, okay, we need to bring the whole family in, and I don't think we're talking to the person with the problem here. And I fear for the patterns that that's laying down in her yes. life and how she'll be relating to people and maybe a partner in that's future right. life. That's yeah. right, that's right. So next week, that's drugs. Next week, another specific addiction. Where will we be heading? Well, I was thinking we might head down the gambling side. Mm, yeah. um, I have a, a wonderful colleague who works with me, Mitchell Brown, who's actually extremely good with people with gambling addictions. And um, so I've been talking to him all week. And um, apart from going to the pokies and learning a little bit, um, I think he's <laughs> going to, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll pick his brains and I'll come in and with a few ideas about how to handle gambling. I'm sure it'll be great help. Lynn Worsley, as always, thank you so much. Happy Easter. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.